Okay, good evening everyone. Broadcasting live from Stony Creek, Ontario. I'm back. I'm back this evening. Today we have a quote. Scroll to the top of our meditation page. Maybe we should start by having someone read the quote off in the hangout, no? It's too bad Robin's gone away. Is there anybody else out there who wants to join the hangout? We can invite you in. If you're on Google+, Plus, give me your name. for today I'll be I'll read the, read it myself it's a long one though I tell you this let an intelligent person who is sincere honest and straightforward come to me and I will instruct him I will teach him Dhamma if he practices as he is taught then in seven years he will attain in this very life by his own knowledge and vision that goal for the sake of which young men go forth from home into homelessness, and he will abide in it. Never mind seven years, he will be able to do it in seven days. Now you may think the monk Gotama only says this in order to get disciples, but this is not so. That he who is your teacher be your teacher still. You may think he wants us to give up our commandments, but this is not so. Continue to live by your commandments. Or you may think, he wants us to give up our way of life, but this is not so. Continue to live your way of life. Or perhaps you will think, he wants us to practice things that are wrong or not practice things that are right according to our teaching. But this is not so. Continue to avoid the things your teaching considers wrong and practice the things that your teaching considers right. But there are unskillful things not yet given up, things tainted, leading to rebirth, fearful, with painful result in the future, things associated with birth, decay, and death. And it is for the giving up of these things that I teach the Dhamma. However, if you practice correctly, these tainted things will be given up, and the things that lead to the purification will grow and develop. You will attain the fullness of perfected wisdom by your own knowledge and vision and abide in it in this very life. This is a quote that's quite dear to me. Um, and I suppose it's simply just a simply a quote that is useful to refer to when, especially when talking to people who aren't Buddhist, to explain to them our stance and the requirements we have, or the requirements which in fact we don't have for people wishing to practice 
the Buddha's teaching. Today I came back from British Columbia, got to the airport in Vancouver, and I came out of the washroom, and there were, just as they were making an announcement, anyone on Air Canada, da 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 da, da who would like to take an earlier flight, please come to the counter. And I just, I was walking to the counter anyway. I walked up to the counter. I said, do you need people to take an earlier flight? They said, yes, they got me on the earlier flight with the worst seat, <laughs> the worst seat on the plane, the very, very back in the middle seat between two people. But uh, as chance had it, I the, the flight I ended up on the man sitting next to me and three of the stewardesses ended up asking, uh, sorry, flight attendants ended up asking me for uh, advice on meditation. The man sitting next to me had been doing 10 day vipassana meditation courses. And so we talked about vipassana and actually we talked quite a bit about philosophy and he said, so who am I? We are talking, I mentioned something that made him ask, who am I? And so we talked about that for a while. He asked, what was the purpose of life? Why are we here? Or something like that. And I said, he's, he was from Spain, so his English wasn't so good. And <clears throat> I said, you know the game Monopoly? And in fact, he did know the game Monopoly. And I said, well, if you look at Monopoly, it's a sort of a game that has a clear goal. There's a purpose. And I, we don't, I can't remember what the exact goal of Monopoly is, but there is one. I think it's bankrupt everybody else. And then you win the game. That's a game with a purpose. But then I said, you know Lego? And yes, he knew Lego. And I said, what's the purpose of Lego? And... Uh, you know, I said, well, the point is that there's, there's not a set goal. So the problem is that we look at the we look at life from a paradigm, usually a Judeo-Christian paradigm or a biblical, theological, uh, theistic paradigm, where which is a lot like Monopoly. Mm -hmm. But the world isn't like that. The world is more like Lego. You can build it, and so I made this analogy for him. And he thought about it, and he came back and he said, yeah, but even with with Monopoly or with Lego, the real point is to in, enjoy yourself. And I said, yeah, but, you know, after a while, you get bored of the Legos. <laughs> this is Buddhism. Eventually you get bored of the Legos. And then we talked more about the idea of the flaw in the idea of how enjoyment uh, being the goal of life, you know, the reason for living is to enjoy. Because I said, happiness doesn't lead to happiness. This you can quote me on. I think I'm pretty unique in having said that. I don't know. Anyway, it's a very Buddhist, I think it's a very Buddhist thing to say. Can't think of where exactly the Buddha may have said it, but. Happiness doesn't lead to happiness, necessarily. Goodness leads to happiness, necessarily. So, so I said, if you take these two goals, one person has the goal of 
uh, enjoying life. This is their goal. Another person has the goal of being good or, or cultivating goodness. The funny thing is the one cultivating goodness who has maybe no interest and eventually no interest in cultivating enjoyment it actually turns out to be the happier one. And so we talked about that. And then one of the flight attendants was from Vietnam. She's Canadian, but she was born in Vietnam. And so she asked me, she asked me to bless her, her mala. But we talked and she was interested in meditation and she wants to come and visit me here. And then two other of the flight of the flight attendants as well. And I'd had a couple of extra book, a bunch of extra books, so I gave up my booklet and we talked. Now the guy on this side who was sitting in the aisle seat, I don't know what his he he wasn't didn't seem at all interested, so we were talking over him and <laughs> I don't know how he felt about it all. But this quote makes me think back of that on that and remark that really this is what it's all about, sharing cultivating goodness by giving, by sharing the teachings. Uh, meaning teaching is teaching is open without any strings attached. That's my point. The point is sharing, giving without any strings attached, not even requiring people to become Buddhist, right? My favorite part here is uh, the, the monk Gotama only says this in order to get disciples, but this is not so. Let whom who is your teacher be your teacher still. That's powerful. And it's a powerful reminder that we're not looking for students, not looking for people to say, this is my teacher, I am this, I am his or her student. Apologize also for the masculine pronouns in this. It's all masculine, right? It doesn't really have to be. I will instruct them. We could change all of these. Anyway, it's an awesome quote. It's a direct quote. One of the most authentic, if, if you believe any of them to be authentic, this is from a set that is among the most likely to be authentic. So this is what the Buddha actually said, as far as we know. And it basically says that I, it's a lion's roar, really. I mean, it's 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 um, exemplifying the complete purity of the Buddha in intention, in terms of just helping. You know, you practice these things; they will help you. This is the lion's roar we have. I don't need you as my disciple. We're not looking for converts. We're not ask, even asking you to give up. Uh, the practices in your own religion. But, and the, the point is, with all of the things that you're doing now, our claim to those people who are not practicing meditation is that you're missing something. There, meaning with all of that, there are still unskillful things not yet given up. That's the implication here. Meaning with all of the things that you are doing, and this this... Uh, speech was actually given to a bunch of ascetics. The Buddha went to see them. If you read the sutta, it's, let's see, it's Diga Nikaya number 25. 
Udumbarika Sihanada Sutta. It's the lion's roar to the Udumbarikas. So the Udumbarikans were, I don't know, a bunch of naked ascetics maybe. The Buddha said this to them, and this is the lion's roar that he gave. This is one of the great lion's roars. means it's, it's a bold statement, something that roars and, and just anyone who listens to it, you would think would be moved by it. As soon as he says this, the next paragraph reads, At these words, the wanderers sat silent and upset. Their shoulders drooped. They hung their heads and sat there downcast and bewildered. So possessed were their minds by evil. Then the Lord said, the Buddha said, Every one of these foolish men is possessed by the evil one, so that not a single one of them thinks, Let us now follow the holy life proclaimed by the ascetic Gotama, that we may learn it. For what do seven days matter? And the point is, you know, why not try it? If 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 his claim is that we could get this in seven days, you know, what, what's the problem? Let's try it for seven days. But not one of them thought that because they were so fully uh, possessed by evil, evil thought. So that's our quote for tonight. Let's go for some questions. Um, Brooklyn mentions the Erewhon Shrine in Bangkok. Should maybe give a moment of silence for that. Send our good thoughts. Everyone should send their good thoughts. Let's have a moment of silence here, online, live, where we all close our eyes and send good thoughts to Thailand to the people who passed away, that their spirits might find peace, to the people who are left afraid, worried about their country, may they all find peace. How to make sense or live with such reckless hate and the destruction it brings? Would love to hear any, anyone's ideas on reconciling this. No, I don't know. I mean, that's part of samsara. If anything, it wake, should wake us up to the fact that we're none of us really safe. Suffering, death comes to all. Suffering comes to all. We should not be negligent. The problem is we think we have all this time. We think everything's safe and stable. We're like chickens. 
ducks. Mahasi Sayada talks about these ducks or chickens that walk around pecking the ground as though they had so long to live and yet they're all going to be slaughtered. If you look at animals, you can see this very clearly when they they bite and hurt each other and then the next moment they pretend that everything's fine. Human beings are we have very much the same behavior. We're negligent. Even when we have the writing on the wall, the hints all around us, we still act as though it will never happen to us. When it actually happens to all of us in some form or another. Is Vipassana meditation comprised of entirely noting sensations and thoughts, or is there a point where we are supposed to move past the rising and falling of phenomena and do something else? See, it sounds like you might be talking about a different tradition, because in our tradition, Vipassana meditation is comprised of the four satipatthana, the body, the feelings, the mind, and the dhammas. And it's completely entirely based on uh, you say noting so it's based on our noting when we say rising falling that's the body or when you say sitting or when you walk and say walking walking that's body when you feel pain or pain pain thinking thinking liking disliking drowsiness distraction doubt seeing hearing smelling tasting feeling thinking but yes Vipassana meditation is just that, the four satipatthana, same practice. You don't ever do anything else. Once, once you practice that to fulfillment, there's the cessation, the attainment of cessation, which is the realization of nibbana, which is freedom. The mind lets go. Samatha meditation can be a bit distracting. Well, Samatha meditation, maybe not distracting, no. Maybe it could. I don't know that that's exactly what I said. Maybe it was. Sometimes I say things that are not exactly accurate. Samatha meditation can be um, lead to complacency. So not exactly distracting, but it can... Um, slow you down potentially it doesn't have to but it does in practice have this effect where it uh, keeps you from progressing but can also be very helpful for, for vipassana meditation giving you good concentration as long as you then know to use it for the practice of vipassana. The guy waiting to get into the monastery, no, that's not uh, that's not Kung Fu series. The Kung Fu series, do I even have a microphone here? Huh. Microphone's way over there. Is anyone listening to this? <laughs> Sheesh. 
Sorry, there's the microphone. Somehow it got off. If you were listening to the live screen, I apologize for the very, very low volume. That was certainly, yeah, yeah. should be louder now. Kung Fu series, how did that go? It was something different. He got he, he was forced to go stay in the monastery. No, the King of American Shaolin or something. That's the movie I'm always referring to. I think it's something like King of American Shaolin. I think it's the whole movie's on YouTube. You go look for it. Should we accept inequality, inequity in the world as part of the human evolution? I don't know about the word human evolution. Uh, I think you have to be careful using that word. But as part of the human state, inequality is part of the nature of karma, we would say. You know? A lot of it just has to do with karma. Rich people who are stingy become poor people. Poor people who are kind and generous, when they pass away, they become rich people. So unless everyone's going to have the same karma and be the same, have the same level of kindness and generosity, not everyone is going to be born into a situation where they have, uh, where they have the same same capabilities. That being said, I think it, it, the more kind and generous people are, the more equality there is. So if if the world were more, if people became more kind, you know, with people always giving to those who needed, right? There would be more uh, equality. Rich people would uh, give to the poor people, so it would level out. Whereas the more stingy and unkind people are, the more inequality there is. No, that doesn't quite make sense, because if everyone were stingy, then everyone would start to be poor, which is probably why you see nowadays most people are poor, because we're very stingy and we just, on a whim, we decide to be very generous, and then, oh, we're suddenly very, very rich for one life, and then back down to be very poor, because when we were rich, we were greedy and not stingy and evil. I mean, that's a karmic perspective. I mean, it certainly doesn't mean that we should accept and say, oh, well, let the rich people keep their wealth. No, if you're rich, you have a, a, a duty. You, know? you want to stay rich, you want to be a rich person, really, to, to have the, get the best out of their money, they should give most of it or at least half of it away, I would say. maybe a quarter of it away at least if everyone did that how do you judge a good meditator as opposed to a less skilled meditator well you don't judge meditators against each other you shouldn't um Well, it's pretty easy, really. I mean, when, when you give exercises to the meditator, do they come back and say they could do it, or do they say they couldn't do it? When the meditator tells you about their practice, are they able to 
talk about their experiences? Do they tell you what they did and, and relate how they were mindful? Or do they come and ask you all sorts of questions about the self and argue with you about you know, Buddhist philosophy as though they don't even believe, they, they don't even accept it? No? Then you think, oh, this person has some problems. Because sometimes they just come and argue with you and they... Or, or more so, they come and complain, which is fine, you know, it's not that complaint is a problem. Some people really have difficulty with the practice, and that's fine, but that person you would say, okay, is going to have a harder time of it. That's fine. It's not to be discouraged, but some people practice and practice very easily. I wasn't one such person, so I see no shame in being a... I can't uh, look down on someone for being a poor meditator, but I was a fairly poor meditator have been it's not difficult to recognize good and poor meditators it's easy to be tricked I suppose by a meditator if they tell you all the right things so um, some if a meditator comes to you and their practice is too good like if they say oh everything's fine and I'm doing really well and I'm really enjoying the practice then sometimes you can be suspicious that they're not really practicing. Many times. I mean, it is possible to have a pleasant practice, but it's also quite possible to not really practice mindfulness and therefore have a pleasant but useless practice. What is the difference between the right-hand path and the middle way? I don't know the right-hand path. I'd never heard of that. We have the right path, and we have the middle way. And actually, they are the one and the same thing, but I don't know right hand. If you mean the right path, that is the middle way. The right path of the Buddha is the Eightfold Noble Path, which is not, not an extreme path. So it's not torturous, and it's not indulgent. It's uh, balanced. What types of things should be unlocked while meditating? I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. I'm not familiar with that terminology. Or maybe I'm just too tired. It's been a long <laughs> day, weekend. Take your pick. Yep, I made it back in time, so I'm here to do the stream. It's nice to see people coming out.
maybe we'll stop it there, no? If you have any more questions, you can save them for tomorrow. I'll say goodnight there. Thank you all for tuning in. Be well. <laughs>